Hello friend, and welcome to the Let Me Play Project Podcast. This week is a very special episode to me because it's with my good friend Jay Davidson, and also it is about growth, which is a very important word and concept for me. In the past couple of years, I've come to realize that growth has been and currently still is the most important thing to me. It's how I measure my progress and quote-unquote success. It's where I find direction and purpose and meaning, and it brings me a sense of drive, challenge, and accomplishment when I go after each of the things that I want to grow from. I think self-growth specifically has always been really appealing to me because I am a proud lifelong learner and I am very focused on the eternal betterment of myself in all disciplines. I'm essentially aspiring to be a circle or a sphere because I want to be as well-rounded as I can be in every discipline of my life and I find that the more well-rounded or polished or smooth I become, I foster more of an appreciation for other people who have experience in or knowledge of these different areas and different walks of life and all of the appreciation then turns into compassion and relatability and empathy and all of these sort of more human qualities. So part of why growth is so important to me is so that I can use these tools to connect with people, I think, in a more roundabout, abstract way. But of course, growth is not just a social thing, it's a very personal and mental thing as well. I've experienced a lot of emotional growth, for example, in the past year or so, and before that, I was mostly focused on career advancement and sort of accumulating real-world skills and growth in those areas. And through it all, through all of this information-seeking and information-soaking, I have come to realize something that I already knew, which is that knowledge is kind of fickle in how you retain it, at least in my experience, because it seems like the more knowledge I supposedly have, or at least I'm exposed to, the less I actually know and more light is shined on areas that I have no clue about. But this concept goes hand in hand with curiosity because this constant enlightening of new areas for development or new sources of information or potential for growth in any way is really enticing to me. And it does spark a, a desire and gives me a pursuit and a quest to embark on. So in short, I guess I really feel in tune with myself when I am growing. 
and I need to seek growth and betterment in myself, ideally every day in some, in some way, shape, or form, in order to feel fulfilled in my day-to-day life. That said, I was reflecting on my week, and this has actually been a huge week of growth for me in lots of, in lots of small ways, and then in a couple larger ways as well. I completed week three of my weightlifting program, which implies that I'm getting stronger and also that I'm getting more comfortable in the gym with the specific movements, and also that I was able to prioritize my strengthening and training and overall health in addition to my work, so that was a big accomplishment. I also was able to reclaim some time for myself by training in the morning before work one day, waking up at 4.45 to to get to the gym, which for whatever reason energized me that day. So that was a good peek into what works for me and what doesn't. Another area that I reclaim some time for myself in is that I've started ordering groceries online from Kroger, and I've found that that's kind of a really helpful thing because while I don't mind grocery shopping, it is just another thing that I have to do that I don't necessarily enjoy, like I'd rather be creating or training. It just feels like a distraction from the stuff I'm actually interested in. So I think I'll probably rely on this little tweak or life hack of the online grocery order for pickup going forward. I also grew in recording a special episode of my podcast, which will be out next week. That is all about human design and specifically my human design. So I, it was fun to learn about that concept and also it did feel a a bit validating and gave me a lot more confidence in my self-acceptance seeing it all laid out. So that was fun and you'll hear all about that soon. I also grew a whole lot through work in varying capacities this week and not really in the ways that I would expect to. On set, I have a lot of holding time where I'm not being used, so I'm just sort of hanging out. So I found myself doing yoga with crew members, sharing music, catching up, giving hugs, and just just talking, which was great. And I started reading a book on set, which is a habit that I am trying to get better at doing. And we were filming at a park, so I got to do lots of fun park things, like swinging on the swings and sliding on a slide that I have been eyeing for three plus years now, but has always been teaming with children. And I roller skated, and I even did some pullovers on the pull-up bars, which was the first time that I've ever done pullovers in public, so... That was a big accomplishment, I would say. So I had all of these beautiful moments of social growth and career growth, but I also had a, I guess, an unfortunate moment in emotional growth where I decided that I essentially outgrew uh, a friendship and sort of 
came to terms with releasing hope for that friendship to grow. So that's always a, a little bit a little bit of a bittersweet thing, especially if you've listened to the companionship episode. You'll know how important that is to me. But the positive reframe on that is that I have made space for new friends and for new companions, and I've really been feeling so much love and warmth from the people that I've been coming across lately on set and in my hobbies or activities and really just in all my pursuits. So I'm striving to keep that going. One of the people that I will always make space for is my good friend Jay Davidson. Ever since I met Jay a few years ago, she's always been growing in some capacity. I like to joke that since I've known her, she's sort of been going through all of the major life events at one time. She was working as a freelancer when I met her and now she has a salaried job as a professor at a prestigious university. She was in the dating scene, dating these sort of insufferable people on Bumble and now she's married with a baby on the way and overall I've just seen her become more secure in herself, assured of her actions and the people that she surrounds herself with, and also her adventurousness. We actually wound up growing closer largely because of the plague. We spent a lot of time, especially in the spring of 2020, going on hikes and walks outside and having lots of meaningful and deep conversations. And that type of personal activity is really important to me and means a lot. So it became easy for her to express things to me and I warmed up to being able to express my thoughts to, to her. Our friendship is interesting because we are similar in a variety of ways. We both have growth mindsets, for example, and we are both very open people and really can befriend anyone. But we're also very different in that she is an external processor and I'm very much an internal processor. So I need to plan out my thoughts a bit before I feel like I know how to best articulate them. But she's an external processor in that she feels more comfortable expressing her thoughts off the top of her head, which is really compelling and interesting to me. She'll also be the first to tell you that our differences largely lie in the fact that she is a Gryffindor and I am a Slytherin. And you'll also hear her say that surrounding herself with Slytherins has encouraged her to be a little bit more comfortable in pursuing wholesome selfishness. So I've known Jay for several years now, and in the time that I've known her, I have grown especially fond of her. And she's given me many beautiful opportunities to, to grow in my own way, which has been great. Our walks at work turned into hikes during the plague, and our hikes during the plague turned into rides on the tube in London. So 
You never know where your friendships might lead you, which is why I treasure them so much. We recorded this episode out in LaGrange, Georgia, by a lake. So in the spirit of springtime and friendship and growth, I encourage you to go put up a hammock or to take a walk and come join us and bask in the sunlight. Welcome, Jay. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, sir. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I did know that this morning. You did? Yeah. What an auspicious day to do a podcast. So auspicious. So auspicious. Well, would you like to set the scene? We are by a cabin in the woods in a big lake um, in LaGrange, Georgia. Yeah. 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 And it's very quiet and scenic Mm -hmm. and it's really nice you came on a good day it was almost like the clouds parted and god blessed you with like no construction no rain right fog everything well yeah the clouds like literally parted because yesterday was storming it was actually foggy this morning so it literally parted and your arrival you came and then you brought the sunshine from atlanta you know i try i try (laughs) try. it's the least i could do um well i'm super excited to see you for one because it's been a little while since since i've seen you in person but Mm -hmm. also i'm excited because you're the first guest that i've had on that you don't know your word ahead of time oh i'm super excited about this yeah well, would you like to know your word? I, so I we think can... we have to continue. Right? I think that's how the podcast okay. goes. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so I was thinking there's several words that I could have used for you. And if and when you would like to be on again, we could we could talk endlessly for, for hours, days. Oh, I'm counting eons. on season two, Sarah. Perfect. Great. Already penned down. <laughs> um, but what I was when I came to this word, I thought it was it was the obvious choice. Oh, really? And then I had to do it. Now yeah. I'm nervous. Yeah. Okay, what is it? Your word, because it resonates with me too. Oh, okay. So your word, which I'm very excited about, is growth. Oh, interesting. You know why I thought today that your word might be beginning? Oh. That you would pick for me, but growth actually makes more sense. Yeah. But it does also encompass the idea of beginnings. I was about to say, yeah, there's a lot of beginnings and endings with growth. Yeah, natural, totally. Natural and forced. So how does this work? How am I supposed to meditate on the word growth? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all, I have some questions that I would like to ask you. So I figured yeah. we could just jump in, Let's and, jump in. And, ex- and externally process. Externally process, yeah. <laughs> it's like Jay and Sarah friendship buzzwords. Exactly, okay. right. I'm just throwing them all out. Okay. <laughs> well, so growth is... I knowing you, I know that growth is very important to you because we've talked about how it's important to you and to me. Why is it important to you? Why is growth important to me? Yes. Okay. I think the reason it is important to me is because it's something that you actually have to choose. And like there's a saying that you you can grow up. So you, you don't have a choice about growing older, but you do have a choice about whether or not you want to grow up. 
And when I think um, globally about the state of our world, every problem we have from climate change to the Ukraine invasion to cancel culture is because individuals, even individuals of prestige and power and wealth, have chosen not to internally grow. And the consequences of that are devastating. Um, Personally, I think it's also the only way to make sense of the fact that life has natural peaks and valleys and highs and lows. And you're never going to have everything go your way all the time. So then what do you do when things are unexpected? And what do you do when things don't go your way? And then the question is, how do you respond to that? Because when things don't go your way, there is pain there. And then the natural reaction to pain for most people is coping. Well, then what does coping look like? Now, coping can be playing video games or watching TV or eating too much pizza. Not saying I don't watch, not saying I had pizza for lunch. So, I mean, like, I'm not (laughs) (laughs) dissing those things, but I'm saying, like, the opportunity in those moments where things are not going your way is to listen. Listen to how you feel. Listen to other people's perceptions. And then hopefully, at the end of it, even if you materially don't get what you want, you are a kinder, more empathetic, wiser person. And when you do have things go your way, you will be better. And sometimes when things go my way, I'm actually way more of a jerk than I am when things aren't going my way. So one of my next challenges is to grow into being the kind of person where if I got everything I wanted, I would still be a kind, empathetic person. Mm. And that is a different thought for another day. (laughs) So you see growth as a tool for betterment, not only within oneself, but on a broader societal scale. Yeah, because we're social beings. Yeah. You know, like, our friendship grew during one of the worst career periods of my life. And now that things are better, I can look back on it and say, well, I have this valuable friendship with Sarah Isley and other individuals from that time period that I wouldn't have had had I not sought to try to see the best in this pretty not great situation. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to your character because you're very um, opportunistic and you are able to get something positive and learn and grow from a situation, even if the situation is not ideal and it's a challenge for you, um, which I think is a really good character trait. I wish more people had that character trait. Sometimes it's a double-edged sword, which is funny. And sometimes it's hard for me to let go of a bad situation because I'm so invested in, like, you know, if, it, if we're talking about growth, like, the situation is, like, a field. I'm so invested in trying to get all the crop yield from that field. Mm. And sometimes it's like, you literally just need to go to a better field. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, but that's also growth too, right? Is learning when to hold them and when to fold them. Yeah. Yeah. Choosing your battles and like choosing your response. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does growth and the concept of growth and constantly chasing that betterment define you as a person and how does it mold and shape your life? I think you're going to have to be more specific than that. 
like, I feel like hands are on army. Yeah. Um, like, does it, is it like a daily thing? Like, is it something that you're aware of, that you're conscious oh, of? Oh, it's definitely or? a daily thing. And it's not something I succeed at. Yeah. You know, but I know when I don't do it, you know, I can be incredibly moody. You just ask my husband. Like, so when I don't do it, the consequence of it, especially when I'm struggling, is like, you know, um, am I allowed, can I talk about being pregnant? Yeah, you can talk okay, about whatever so you like. As I am on the date of this podcast, which is St. Patrick's Day, I'm seven months pregnant. The baby's due date is actually two months away on May 17th. And and being in your third trimester, there's a lot of um, hormonal shifts. And, and there's a lot of people who reach out to you and love on you, but there's a lot of stress, obviously, being pregnant. And so if I'm doing a daily ritual for myself that's healthy and positive and good, then even in small moments where randomly Navin and I were eating, you know, getting Subway and our car is not starting... And just being calm and just solving it within a few minutes. Like, that's where growth is. And it's like, oh, okay, I solved this crisis with my husband, no conflict. But then when I'm not keeping up with daily practices and my hormones are raging, then it goes into territory of, like, freaking out over him because the pizza place is too expensive. You know, just, Mm -hmm. like, insanity. Because the reality is, like you have to do these growth moments because it keeps everything more at peace within all your relationships Mm -hmm. and certain things you can't control. Like you really can't control the fact that your hormones are all over the place. Right. But if you are trying to work on inner peace, that will have less of an impact um, in terms of the people around you. Yeah. I mean, until the baby comes out and then, I'll have no sleep. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll have my own problems. Right. Well, there'll be, yeah, there'll be different challenges to what you're experiencing now. And there probably will, you probably won't be able to return to like the normalcy that you had before being pregnant. Oh, I don't even know what it, I don't even know what it is anymore. Yeah. I think you were like the last part of my normal life. Oh, wow. (laughs) No, I think like we went to England together and I think that was like the last normal thing, which was not even normal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And like, of course, every, of course, it coinciding with like COVID and everything. Oh, yeah. COVID has made life. I mean, COVID has been two years now and it's starting to become over. Yeah. Who knows if it's actually over. But I mean, I'm not, I've had the most important, like, I started teaching Jeff. At like a you know at r1 university during covid mm-hmm. i got married engaged and married during covid yeah and i'm pregnant and none of that has been normal and i think that's also like why you have to lean into growth because it's like nothing tradition does hold society together mm-hmm. and that's why tradition is important but what happens when tradition fails right what happens when you can't have a wedding because your husband's parents live in india and it's COVID, and you need to get him a green card. Mm-hmm. Well, then, like, then it's all growth. It's all navigation. It's all trying to make sure that Naman and I are going closer together, despite the fact that we're being deprived of the things that society has set up in every culture to bring a couple closer together. Mm-hmm. Then you just have to choose to become closer together. And I think that's all what growth is, is making choices to 
create positive outcomes even when you don't get the support that you need and the nourishment that you need. Right. And choosing, like, yeah, having an active, like, part role in your life to take the better path. And take the better path. And that's why I'm saying when I get everything I want, I hope I'm still a nice person. Yeah. Because there are times where I like everything I want. I'm like, I don't want to actually grow now. And then I'm like mean. And I'm like, why am I doing that? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't want to be the person that's like uh, J.K. Rowling has this famous uh, line about the character Ron Weasley that like he's a friend. Like he's a foul weather friend. Mm. right like he's a friend you want in adversity yeah but then like anytime like harry's doing well wrong it's all mad right like you don't yeah. want to be the person that's only good when things are bad you want to be the person that's good i know or do you want to be the good that person that's only good when things are good right you want to be the person that is solid mm-hmm. you know like the biblical idea of like you know a man for all seasons like yeah. you want to be a tree for all seasons, a man for all seasons, a woman of all seasons, where you were a hopefully lovely person throughout every time of life. Mm. So mm. we'll see. I'm working on it. <laughs> well, that's the point, though. You're working on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a beautiful sentiment. And um, I think that's an important thing for people to chase and to aspire to just a level of instead of I think a lot of people chase like the ideals of like happiness or joy or like excitement but just being able to maintain a sense of like calm and peace and like being authentic to oneself and wanting to do better when they can uh regardless of the situation I think is a much more reasonable and realistic pursuit oh what a compliment seriously (laughs) um do you find that your growth is measurable? Like, can you tell when you're growing in a certain area of your life or when you're at a point of stagnancy? Um, What's funny about you, of all people, asking that question is I think that you, of all people, know how much I've grown at this point better than I have. Yeah. Because I'm just, like, living it right you're really in it and i can see it (laughs) from the outside and at the moment i just feel like i am just trying to be live day to day with all the challenges of trying to balance my career and my husband's career and us bringing a child into this world and um i you know and in two months i will meet my mother-in-law for the first time yeah it's gonna be a huge thing for both of us especially since indian culture is very different than american culture and in, and my husband who grew up in india his mom would have picked um for her you know son a very different woman than me so it's interesting that to have to be in that collision course of culture and then the fact that i have seen her come towards me a lot i've come to her towards her a lot but then the proof is in the pudding right it's like wow okay what is this gonna look like in two months so for me i'm just so focused on like everything i have to do until baby comes and then baby's gonna be like this whole life-changing grenade that's just like exploding onto our lives so in terms of measurement i have to have people like you or um my counselor or just mentors in my life give me feedback if they think i have grown and i'm growing 
in the right direction. Mm. And I don't know if they would have the same answer. Like, I don't know if they did a random online survey of, like, how much has Jade Davidson grown if they would give the same answer. And then what metric of life? Professional, personal, emotional. Right. Physical, I definitely have a baby bump now, so I definitely grew in that direction. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) That's one that people can see is visible and that people can, like, it's obvious. Um, Yeah, your sister made a face. It was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you're definitely more pregnant than the last time I hung out with you. It was hilarious. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I think that that's key, though, like, going through and, uh, like, noting that you can make improvements but not all at the same time in different areas of your life like with the different metrics like you were saying but also I think it's cool that you kind of seek that not necessarily validation but confirmation I guess from different sources to like affirm in yourself that other people can see the progress that you've made because I feel like a lot of people don't do that I feel like they're kind of just okay with um they're okay with just being present which i think is fine too but i, I really actually don't agree with you about the presence thing I yeah think most people are very bad at being present mm. now what i think that it is instead of present is they're into that cycle of coping mm-hmm. like they're just like a slave to the cycle of i'm happy i'm not happy so i'll do things to get happy yeah so it's like short-term goals Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Which is not the same as in my perception of being present. Yeah. No, I agree. It's, um, people are on treadmills, I think, like where they get stuck kind of like chasing the immediate. And I, and maybe I see that more because I am a college professor, um, at the moment of this day. <laughs> I don't say this because like, uh, you know, if someone found this podcast 15 years from now, obviously life could be different. And my yeah. kid would probably be like, why do you talk so much about being pregnant mom anyway (laughs) um but yeah i feel like i see that a lot in college students which is like especially in college students which it is so much of like um hope of who they want to be but deep fear of who they think they can't be and then all these opportunities around them and then like confusion and angst especially during covid and then trying to and then and the fear and anxiety just being and the hope and the confidence just being on a constant like spiral and cycle like where they do things that are just not you know the best for them mm-hmm. and then then they suddenly do things that are amazing for them and then they don't seem to always know the difference between the two yeah and i'm sure it's hard to for them to appreciate one versus the other um, it's just, I don't know. It's funny because it's like, I probably was the exact same way. I just don't really remember it because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I don't think adults are that. I mean, college kids are adults. They're just weird adults where they're both adults and not adults at the exact same time. But like, um, a, people who are out in the world making paycheck rounds, I don't see them as wildly different than the college students in that regard. Mm. Maybe actually less open because college students have so many opportunities at their disposal yeah. in terms of personal growth. But yeah, when we're in our working world and a company that must may not be named, um, I saw a lot of people that 
I feel like we're living in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And is that sad or distressing for you to see people stuck in that cycle and not living up to their potential or not taking like action? Well, stuck is a that stuck is a perception that we have, right? So that's always like yeah, funny right. when we have constant conversations about other people and the potential we see in them is are they stuck or are they just feel like they have found their piece of reaching this next level of their previous job situation was not as great so now they're in a better job situation and they can be comfortable right but that's a different conversation i think growth is also not that you can't grow and be comfortable that is a debate but i think you and i see growth over comfort Yes. And my husband definitely seeks growth over comfort. And the cost of that in a marriage of two people who seek growth over comfort is, well, sometimes it's nice to be comfortable. (laughs) So I can't even say that that's a wrong lifestyle, you know? No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong. Um, And I don't think it's, it's right either. It's like you said, it's uh, a choice. Each of these are choices and some are more appropriate in some circumstances and others are more appropriate in others. And you'll whatever choice you decide will I think bring more opportunities that kind of align with either those choices of comfort or those choices of growth but I do agree that I think the most growing tends to happen when you step outside of the comfort zone and so I think that that's important I think when I have a problem people who want to be comfortable is when their desire to be comfortable is damaging to others yeah and I think that's often the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's when I'm critical of people who seek comfort. Right. Because it's one thing if you are a worker at a company and you do a good job and then you want to go home and have a simple life. It's another thing when management seeks to be comfortable. And that, to me, is a very dangerous thing. Yes. I don't think management should always, ever seek to be comfortable. I think management should seek to be competent or in tune this is where presence does come in, um, mm-hmm. in tune with the trajectory of their um, product and employees and, mm-hmm. and maintaining both. Um, yeah. Well, in a situation like that, where there's so many pe- parts at play and like people involved, there's it's not going to be something that I don't think ever can run smoothly without any room for improvement. Like, I think... That's something that just constantly needs to be worked on and improved on. So, yeah, I would think it would come off as lazy and potentially incompetent for people in charge to kind of take a back seat and just relish in the comfort level. Because even if they do that and things run well for a little while, at least in like organizations that are um, reliant on technology, the least that'll happen is the technology will go out of date. So that needs to be improved. Well, I think the thing is, when you have managers that seek comfort, um, is that what happens is the cost happens, but the cost doesn't necessarily happen to them. The cost happens to someone else. The cost happens to the new employee that they're underpaying who is struggling just to pay rent. Yeah. And the, Or the cost happens to a quality older employee that needs that deserves more money because they're more competent and then letting them go. Um, right? Like, mm-hmm. those are where, like, their the cost happens. It just doesn't happen to them. And then it gets into that short-term exchange thing I was talking about, where people are just living to these short-term goals 
and then burning through things. Well, they might be, they're not necessarily burning through any of their resources because they don't value their people as resources. Right. And I don't mean to sound anti-capitalist because I'm actually very much a free market capitalist. So if anyone's listening, um, please understand I'm not a socialist. <laughs> but I do think that like part of a good capitalistic society is valuing the owner and the worker. Mm. Not necessarily in the same percentage of value, but acknowledging they both bring value yeah well and at the very least like treating the both like the worker and the the employee and the employer as if they're both people oh yeah but i mean it's weird i don't that's actually my problem with socialism is it doesn't actually treat the owners like they're people really uh maybe not like we're talking about european socialism but like historic socialism okay yeah 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 like european socialism for those of you who are like, why are we talking about economics suddenly? Um, <laughs> European socialism is not really socialism. It just has this weird name towards it. What it is is a free market economy that actually has less regulation than we do, um, that has businesses, but does have social mandates from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but arguably the American economy, which is really leans hard into corporate socialism, and bailing out rich jerks um, and subsidizing companies, that's socialism. It's just that's not socialism that benefits people. It's socialism that benefits corporations. So we don't have a free market economy. So the U.S. is definitely far from my ideal of, like, anything remotely like that. Yeah. Well, the U.S. is interesting because, to me, it just seems like a nation like fully built on growing pains or like it is that's all I've known about it is that it's just been living through this growing pains because we're such a young nation compared to the to the rest of the world but the rest of the world is so reliant on us for a lot of things so it's crazy to me in my in my little world at least that we have that we are relied on for so many things um in terms of like economy politics military all of these resources all of that stuff but that we don't have like basic things or policies within our country to really support the individuals within it no i i think you're when you talk about growth i actually think growth is um the american way and hmm. but i also think comfort is the american way and i also yeah. think those dual values are actually like causing so much of our angst and have caused our angst from our conception the yeah. growth of it being like well the u.s has grown and it's grown in organic and positive ways through starting with <laughs> playing with democracy for white male property owners all right that's problematic uh but you know it starts somewhere and it gradually is expanded um but also the, uh, the growth of it through the fact that there were people whose version of growth um especially in the south was and actually in the north too um was that you know constant exploitation of people um whether you're talking about owning people like slavery or talking about abusing children and having them in the labor force right mm-hmm. so i think the, the thing about growth and i want to say is like you have to own growth yeah right like growth has to be your ownership 
if you grow and it, and you get into this idea of mechanical growth and mechanical growth is like building material wealth but if you grow materially and you're not owning it spiritually or emotionally that is when you come at a cost now the cost for our nation was the exploitation of millions of people mm-hmm. right not just the it's in the south totally but the the white immigrants in the north right the exploitation of mm-hmm. that that isn't growth that's spiritually ideal now the spiritually ideal growth of the united states is it was the expansion of rights the expansion of rights with people the expansion of rights to vote the expansion of rights to hold property the expansion of voice the expansion of technology that came with those uh, intellectual freedoms letting other brilliant minds come into play not being afraid of allowing brilliant people from different parts of the country to contribute to society letting the idea the true idea of americanism to be a spiritual idea the idea that being an american is should not and never be ethno-based that it should be something that you adhere to because you believe in enable enable rights for people now that idea that idea of spiritual growth is actually what makes america remarkable it's the reason you had so many people who are homegrown, right, like Edison, or foreign-born, like Tesla, come in and change the game. You gotta throw in Westinghouse there, because he never gets a shout-out. He's pretty great. But it's not just those three men, right? It's so many inventors that change the game, right, because of these intellectual and spiritual ideas. And Elon Musk is a South African man who's actually the most fucking American man spiritually almost in popular culture right now. Yeah, that's insane. But that's the beauty of America. Yeah. And But the negative side of America is when we choose the comfort way and the growth becomes totally at the backs of other people, which we still live in, right? We're not not living in that. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm a socialist. Right. But I don't think any of those things, slavery or child labor or um, and, you know, none of that is free market economy values. Right. That is all cheating the system. That is all taking away opportunity. And it's all not it's not many. None of that is um, the equality of opportunity. Mm. Yeah, we have. We're constantly progress seeking in this country, which, yeah, is both blessing and a curse, I think. But you're right that there's so much emphasis on progress seeking and working hard and like moving forward. But then there's also the polar opposite emphasized of like living luxuriously and staying in in what's what's easy and what's kind of lavish the comfort element to it but I think putting ourselves out there and like putting ourselves out of the comfort zone and pushing forward past the comfort zone is what's necessary for the forward movement and progression um but so then on a on an individual scale then how how can one put himself or herself in or outside of the comfort zone in a healthy way to outgrow a comfort zone and to move on well the funny thing is like what 
is a comfort zone because a comfort zone actually could be a negative habit. Yeah. Right. Like there's this um, phrase in the Bible about how a dog will return to its vomit. Mm. So a comfort zone could be something that actually causes pain and is unpleasant and is not actually good for the person that's in it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, They don't even enjoy it while they're in it. They're just so looped into it. Now, other than telling people to read Seven Habits for Effective People, or I think I'm messing up the title, um, I don't know how to tell everyone in the world how to break their comfort zone. I think it just starts by, like, Jordan B. Peterson has this amazing quote that he says that, like, life is all in what you're avoiding. Mm. Right? So I think maybe that's where you start, because I think you're conscious knows the next move but maybe we're afraid we're afraid Mm. we're gonna fail Mm -hmm. we're afraid that we're not worthy we're afraid that we will try and it's not gonna go our way yeah right or we're afraid that if we you know do a certain action we're gonna lose people's affection and all of those fears like i don't even want to say they're not true because i think that does a disservice to the people experiencing those fears or even when I'm in a place when I'm experiencing those fears. But at the same time, um, it's recognizing that growth isn't as like simple as like, okay, now I'm at the edge of the pool and I gotta go to the deep end. Like the metaphors you constantly in all these this is us type shows, right? Like mm-hmm. growth could just be as like, okay, like what do I need to do to be a healthier person today that I didn't do before. And it could be as simple as like your doctor says you need to start taking vitamin D. And so you actually listen and get the vitamin D. Yeah. The small changes. The small changes, right? Or it could be listening to your mom who's telling you you need to, I don't know, chill out, Mm -hmm. breathe, go on a walk, Mm -hmm. right? These things that won't solve your problems but may make you be okay a little bit in that moment. And then doing those calming things will make you be more calm and less reactive in certain circumstances. And the cumulative effect of all that could lead you into a mysterious, better place. Yeah. Yeah. The little buildable habits can snowball for sure and turn into bigger like patterns um like life-shaping patterns i think um yeah that's really interesting to think about that comfort is not necessarily always a a positive and innately comforting thing because you're you're right it's usually it's more of a a safety thing or like what you're used to doing because when you explained it like that it made me think of that's it's basically what addiction is too because you're in some way because when people are addicted to something that's they're in that loop or in that void and they're just stuck in it and well again stuck is a is our perception but that's what they're used to well i think addiction it is stuck yeah so i'll tell you a nasty habit that i think i've mostly curbed oh yeah cross my fingers in case someone's like i saw you on a YouTube comment page. Oh, oh yes, I um, know. I definitely have grown in a measurable way mm-hmm. from avoiding conversations on Facebook. 
and not yes. just Facebook or YouTube or anything mm. of just like any type of engagement with people in the comment section online because mm-hmm. I used to be totally into arguing about that embarrassing myself even ones at work over how angry I got at someone saying something terrible and it's just comical the thing that I, that was a part of my life and it was a very negative part of my life and then what what was the reason behind that right of just like why was I going online arguing with strangers yeah and I think in hindsight the reason for that was because that was where I put my frustrations in my own life was in these arguments. Mm-hmm. But also I actually genuinely was like, well, I can make these conversations better. I can learn or the other person can learn from me, which occasionally happened. Mm-hmm. But the 10% of that happening was never worth the 90% of the anguish of it not happening. Yeah. And it was never an effective way of influence. Mm-hmm. And... I think where I'm at now is like, I, and the reason I stopped doing that is not because I was like, oh, if I stop doing that overall, I'll be a less contentious person. Mm-hmm. Overall, I'll be more patient. I stopped doing that just because of uh, job changes. And where if you, you know, are the crazy person arguing in line, there's real economic consequences for that. Yeah. But also just like I had friends be like, you realize like you're coming across in this very poor way. And there is a part of me that is so contrarian and iconoclastic that I just get off on the idea that I'm just different. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm challenging people and I'm like, oh, well, they're wrong and I'm right, even if that's actually true. And so I finally was like, OK, for practical reasons, I'm going to slowly stop doing this. Mm hmm. And then three years later, it's like, okay, well, I hardly ever do it anymore. I read the comment section and all I think is, why are people so negative all the time? Right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, who cares what you think about this thing? Right? It doesn't matter. And then overall, I realize like, there isn't this instant quip that's going to fix complexity. Mm. Right? Yeah. And if you really are going to address something, if you really are going to take a point on that you don't feel like is articulated in culture well like you really have to do that in a long form thoughtful way and maybe the long form isn't as complex as making a movie right maybe the long form is like chilling out with sarah isley by a lake and sweating in march right (laughs) like maybe that's it right but that's like that is a better form of influence and it's a better form of influence for you and it's a better form of influence for the other person and yeah, you're never going... And also, like, you aren't the reason why someone changes. You might just be... And I think I learned this from teaching more than anything else, which is, like, you are just constantly just planting seeds. Mm-hmm. And then someone else decides whether or not they like that thing you're planting and incorporate it in the soil of their soul, the soil of their mind, or the soil of their heart. I love this concept of planting seeds, and I know you know this about me. Because I just think that the imagery is just so perfect and beautiful of taking whatever opportunity you have in the moment, no matter how small it is or a buildable habit, and nurturing it and not worrying about the immediacy, not worrying about what 
like hoping that it turns into something like concrete and specific and putting all your eggs in one basket type thing, but just letting it develop at its own pace and responding to it in a way that's natural. Um, I, I go about, that's kind of my strategy for my growth and that's kind of what I've adopted to to go about in all like pursuits of mine um do you have a strategy for your growth it sounds like removing um at least in that example it sounded like removing the dosage or exposure was kind of important but also in habits it seems like like the small incremental steps is important to you too well, the irony is, Sarah Isley, is this is actually a growth of our conversations that are not on this podcast that the listener would not know about because they don't stalk our friendship. Right. Is This is actually something I feel like I'm learning partially from our deep conversations that we've had over the last, like, definitely the last six months, um, is, like, usually the way I do growth and would still prefer to do it is strategy, right? Is you come up with a plan and you come up with contingencies to a plan and then you execute it right right and because life can be so complex i've had to um realize like oh i don't have a i don't i can't think my way out of this i don't have a plan my way out of this i don't have a strategy for my way out of this which made my counselor very happy um and she was very proud of me that i was okay of letting go of strategy and if anyone's interested in the myers-briggs um <laughs> spoiler alert sarah's an intj i am and i'm an entj so we're pretty strategic on how we approach life um i think you've had your own personal season of growth hence this podcast where you have let go of the master planning a little bit to just do this sea planting kind of thing mm-hmm. and i think because of the complexity of my current life um I kind of had to do the same thing. I had to be like, okay, like I can't just strategize my way out of this. Um, so how do I lean into day by day living? And that is where like the little habits have to come in. And that yeah. is where you have to have faith in them. But it doesn't mean you throw away the strategy as a tool in your toolkit. It just means that sometimes that tool isn't going to work. Yeah, you have to switch between the tools. Switching between the tools. I think that's the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which inevitably makes you a better, like, worksman, I think. (laughs) See, at the end of the day, you and I love approaching life like it's, like, a project. Which is, I think a lot of people are like, that's weird. Y'all weird. I think so, too. But I love looking at it like that. Because it's something, like, every day is novelty, a little bit different. And every task you know, needs to be met with its own, you know, perspective, you know, a different tool for a different job. I mean, you are a wise person. So (laughs) it's all, and it's funny because we have a considerable age difference in our friendship, but I find myself leaning into your youthful wisdom um, because I don't necessarily think age actually makes wisdom. So that's also a conversation about growth is age does not make wisdom. Well, that's something that I was wondering because I really have been guilty of being pretty ageist my whole life. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, snap. Okay. Yeah. Because I, and it's it hasn't really been reflected at other people, I don't no. think. It's mostly been a ref, like a self-reflection. Like if I am the youngest 
person in the room, regardless of like what we're there for, I automatically assume uh, without any like consideration that, oh, I am the least skilled at this or the least knowledgeable or my opinion values the least, regardless of who it is or like if I know these people or not. If I know that I'm the youngest, then um, then I just think that. And I guess I kind of do it the other way too, but I haven't had too many of those experiences where I'm the oldest, you know, like in a professional setting. But I, I, it's, it takes me a while to of actually like knowing these people and working these people and being in this environment for me to like take them, I guess, off of this ageist pedestal and like get on their level. Is there a question there? Not really. Not in that one. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, I guess I'll respond because I have thoughts, I guess. Yeah. I've never had that ageist pedestal. Pe- oh, let me rephrase. I have never had that ageist pedestal problem because I saw my, uh, like, relatives mm-hmm. um, who were way- much older than me do things that were just very emotionally destructive. Mm-hmm. So I learned at a very young age that authority doesn't mean anything Mm. which is both helped me tremendously in life and also still it's hard for me to actually have to grow into like well it can mean something and it should mean something yeah because i'm so i wouldn't say i'm anti-authority because i'm not like oh i hate authority or i hate being told what to do Mm -hmm. i just don't assume that the person knows more than me because they're in a position of authority yeah no i actually assume that the person might know more than me to like live into Jordan Peterson principle, which is actually something I've always felt that he articulated. And if you're like, why should like Jordan Peterson so much? Just read the book. You'll learn something, I think. But uh, if that is like the fact that you assume that everyone knows something that you don't. And I think that there is value in that because I, when I hold on to that, I can still like have spontaneity in the classroom where I can trust that I can learn from my students right mm-hmm. um and then sometimes because of that i don't actually know how to be an authority figure even though i am like i i don't even see myself as an authority figure so i just try to talk to them like hey we're all really excited about doing movies and it's like whoa no i actually am a role like what does that mean to be a role um so age is a weird thing because we do live in a society where authority is a thing yeah and usually that's reflected in age and the first reflection of that is your relationship with your parents so and thinking about being a parent obviously i especially with an indian man obviously we might have to lean more into like you're the parent and the kids like it's gonna be a balance like in eastern culture the parents are almost like gods and western culture like we try to be friends with our kids i think my husband and i will try to have to come up with something that's a little bit more healthy in the middle but, like, all this to say is, like, in my role as a professor or my role as a parent, it's, like, I'm actually learning the opposite of, like, oh, I I know things I have to teach. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I can learn from my child. And, yeah, I can learn from uh, my students. But I have to assume that I do experience does add up to something. Yeah. And in my authority in my life, I have to be, like, yeah, well, people in authority have some thing to offer them that but it is funny how like you and i are coming at the ageism thing from 
just like a totally opposite end trying to meet in the middle which is what we seem to do all the time yeah you know especially when we had a conversation the other day about filters mm -hmm. and how you had extreme filter and i have no filter and how we're trying to meet in the middle yeah between that as well yeah, yeah. well that's kind of the foundation of our friendship i think just but like we these so opposite. alike too like yeah. we we're like this exact we we're so similar in so many ways but then like we had these key opposite differences which make it interesting right but we both um i think one commonality between us is that we both have an appreciation for the others uh like mindsets and respect that we both want to learn and we're always learning but that's the difference right because i didn't assume that being older than you that you would not know more than me about something right right yeah like we were in the same working environment and i just was like listening to you talk and i was like shit this girl knows what she's talking about <laughs> i'm gonna go listen to her walk and it yeah, logically other people would assume it was the opposite mm. right right like, yeah like um so if i'm 11 years older than you that's correct mm -hmm. i should be the one telling you how it is and there are times in those environments where there are people seeking advice from me and i gave it to them mm -hmm. but i was always seeking your advice i was like sarah what do you think about this crazy situation here mm -hmm. you know and that's because i'm not an ages yes yeah well you have a really good um like uh sensor i guess for knowing which people are good at which things and like what merit or value they have in speaking about specific topics so i think like you're good at really finding people who know what they're talking about and learning from them and gravitating towards them because that's because i don't regard authority yeah but i think the problem of not regarding authority is well you practically have to mm -hmm. you know and that is where the difference between me being a gryffindor and you being a slytherin is always like been an interesting dynamic of our friendship like in myers-briggs way we're very compatible but you know according to jk rowling universe we are actually mortal enemies you know <laughs> <laughs> so there you go uh i suppose i think there's a lot of good in slytherin house i mean i'm learning that from you and my husband so we'll, <laughs> we'll keep going on that well so then do you have an optimum learning or growth environment or set of circumstances or you seem like you're pretty adaptable but is i guess if there was like an ideal place that you would like to be where your learning and growth was magnified you know what's funny i'm thinking about you said ideal place and i was immediately thought about a ravenclaw and i don't know why um, <laughs> like i feel like the image in my head when you said that is i was thinking about the way that certain personality metrics like to grow mm. and like a ravenclaw would like to grow in like absolute peace yeah like a room designed for them right have a desk that is designed for them we have friends that are like this where they have their special mouse, their special keyboard, their special mm -hmm. posters, their aromatherapy, and that all of that leads them to do their best work. It's very environmentally driven. Yeah, and I actually admire the hell out of that. And I actually wish I was more like that. I think because my life hasn't again and part of me one of what would maybe want to explore that. But for me that would be like, let me try this thing that they just do. Yeah. As like a growth factor. Like as a test if this is going to help me grow so i think right now it's like that's where it's the sanctity of your own mind like mm -hmm. right because i don't feel like i've had a consistent environment 
Um, even when I lived in Atlanta for eight years, I moved almost every year, year and a half. And the cool thing about that um, is I got to really get to know the city of Atlanta in a really complex way that I never would have had I just stayed put. Um, currently living in Oxford, Mississippi, have lived in New Orleans, have lived in India, have lived in South America, have lived in Florida, have lived in Tennessee. Um, my brother jokes that I like want to just hit up every state in the South. Um, but like, <laughs> it kind of seems like that. It's not intentional. Part of me, <laughs> Naman and I would love to live out West one day. Like they're, you know, they're like circumstantially to, I, if I was chasing the growth or chasing the necessity that led me out of environmental growth, but that is something I'd like to explore one day is what is that? Mm. What is building your ideal environment and how that informs your creativity? Mm. But I've learned to be creative outside of that. So it's not intentional. None of this is like, it's more just, I guess, having to be strategic and adaptable and going back and forth. Mm. You. Yeah. Since I've known you, you've kind of, I like to say that you've been kind of doing all the life events at once. And whether- well, explain that to the listeners who are still listening. What does that mean? <laughs> Since I've known Jay, she's kind of been all immersed in everything all at once, uh, like all the major life events. Like bef- when I met her, she was still in the dating scene, so she hadn't met her husband, now husband, yet. Um, she obviously wasn't pregnant. Um, she, she and I had the same job uh and it wasn't i'll say it wasn't really a job that was well suited for her um was it well suited for you it no (laughs) but like i got like you i got (laughs) from it what i I could i think that implies it's well suited for anyone but yeah yeah um but since i've known her she's uh she's just done such a great job of you know, taking all of these opportunities that have been thrown her way. She's changed jobs several times. Okay, that sounds bad when you say it like that. Well, not in this industry. Oh, okay. So let me clarify so I can make myself some yeah. smoother. Um, I'm currently a professor, which is something I was trying to get into more full time, which is his own journey. When I met Sarah as we freelance in the video editing commercial world, which I feel like I can say. And in that time period pandemic happened and sabotaged a few career opportunities led me to my current university which i am grateful for and in that um my husband and i were dating while i was at that commercial thing started getting back into teaching then we in that we got married uh engaged and married and then got pregnant but also switching industries switching states and then also um writing and directing producing the short film the lady essen about a female inventor named margaret knight and having an opportunity to be the second producer on an upcoming documentary um called snowland or associate producer on a feature film and los angeles or we have other horizontal projects which we will have to mention in season two that sarah and i will be working intricately together um and that's a lot that's that's a huge change from going into hey i'm just stalling at my career at this company making commercials and now that the goals that i wanted there happen which is actually kind of the cool part because everything that i wanted 
and was striving for three years ago when we met, I now have. But even that was just trying and planting seeds and mm-hmm. not knowing how that would all evolve and how that would all turn out. Mm-hmm. But you were able to take all of these opportunities and turn them into something and achieve those goals. And so it seems like most of the growth that I've seen in you has been externally motivated and driven, um, but that you've taken each of these opportunities and turned them into your successes or at least your advancements and betterments. And we'll see, because, I mean, you're catching me you know, this podcast will be a dated moment of another crossroads. Yeah, exactly. Um, which think- we'll have to explore more in season two, fair audience, if you're still listening. <laughs> some of this has to be, like, secrets, because, you know, we have to leave you some cliffhangers. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's the compelling narrative <laughs> we have to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then it'll it'll be really interesting for me to see if you, if and when you reach a point where you're not, like, driven to chase growth because of these external oh, I'll circumstances never stop being driven do you want to know what other desires i have in my life yeah um in addition to what i currently am doing yeah which is a lot well hopefully it'll be more <laughs> um it's interesting because i have a really good friend um who works in fashion and, and film at the same time mm-hmm. and he's a very growth driven individual and we're talking that even though we both have really have grown a lot in the last three years there are times where we both feel like we're on a treadmill yeah and that's maybe not even true but that's how we feel and i think it's like what i've said to him is like it's interesting what's going to happen if we put all these things that we're striving for have more like impact um and then what that would look like and i say that because um there are ideas that I have for novels. There are ideas that I have for short stories. There are ideas that I have for more feature films that I, if we we're talking about like the environmental space Ravenclaw thing, I'd love to have a stable environment to just put all my energy and blast it on the page. Mm. So it would never be like, I'm going to stop growing. Right. Um, it just might be the growth is less external from here to here to here to more contained and blasting, blasting, blasting. And these other contained directions that actually might have greater impact on my life. Um, and it's funny, you know, I was talking about the late Essen earlier. I mean, we I don't really want to talk about it as an art yet or now or whatever. I just let me <laughs> rephrase that awkward turtle moment. Um, what I mean is like when you make a short film which I was making that short film when I met you at that company. You were. When I started that company, I was just at that company to try to plant seeds to get my teaching career going and also working on the script with my friend that we finished. It took years to finish, but we were working on it. The bulk of our time working on it was at that company. And in a lot of ways, people might have looked at us. We were both at jobs we did not, could not foresee ourselves long-term. Yeah. And externally maybe people would look at us if you're looking at the ages factor of life as people who are not doing well in their life right Mm -hmm. but we internally were like we're doing this type of job now to pay the bills so we can make the next move which obviously is a lot of faith to see that next move come off right it requires a lot of foresight and also belief in your ability and opportunities that are gonna may not ever come 
may not ever come, which causes a lot of people around you to be like, what are you doing to yourself? Yeah. You look like an idiot. Right. Right. And like, and you can internalize that. Totally. That happens. And then like, and then it's like in that I put in the motions of making the short film, which I pitched. And then a year later, still at that company was starting to make and made and then started teaching career and then all that changed. And then the pandemic obviously blew everything up. So all this to say was it's funny to go from pitching to producing to editing. I didn't edit her dear friend Tar edited, um, but and working with her to that leading to other opportunities. Like we showed that film in England. Yeah. And we got to hang out in England, which was like a weird, fun thing in our friendship and our friendship with Tara, which is awesome. Right. And then I showed that film in Arizona and I went to celebrate that film and my marriage and my child. And, you know, if we're just taking that film as an example, when I first met you, I met you two weeks after we started the, the, the Voldemort company and like Harry Potter references. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you blushed on that one. Was that a little too unfolded? No, that was really funny. <laughs> um, the Voldemort Company, we met two weeks apart. You came two weeks after I did. You ran it out. And then, but I told you about that project a year later. I'm filming that project. Then I'm in a year later, total surprise to me, in another state, <laughs> university, still working on that project. And the pandemic's happening. We don't get to party with that project, but we then it goes out into the world. And that to me is almost like the metric of how much if you are planting scenes and working towards something, um, the trajectory of that was us talking about it at some lunch place in Decatur to chilling in England. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fast too. It was accelerated. But it didn't feel that fast because there's so much time of waiting, right? So much time of... I'm pitching this project. Now I have to work on writing it. Now I'm shooting it. But then now we're in post. Well, there's different phases, right? You were in part of post. I was. And even then you were an assistant editor. So you did your part and then you handed it off. And then it was like a whole year later before that even finished because of all the pandemic and misdriving. But yeah, no, I mean, that is like, I think the metaphor of it all together because that was a place where most people who work there did not have those things happening yeah and their goal was to advance there and there could be a whole podcast about that place and what happened to everyone there um but <laughs> like uh but that was their goal right yeah and they thought i was a crazy one right like people because if your goal is just to advance in the immediate thing you know, and you're not taking these deeper risks, it's kind of like, okay. And I spent, they a lot of them spent their energy relaxing when they got off work. And I spent my energy striving. Yeah. Which made me unhappy in a lot of ways. But it, it, it but the striving paid off. Mm-hmm. And hopefully when my, I'm continuing to strive, even though I'm an objectively more comfortable position, um, Ironically, also because of that striving, I will be, that will pay off too, which is why you might have to have three, season three, four, and five of this project, or you might have moved on to whatever next phase in your life, which you might have to do another podcast about your journey and to what that looks like. But yeah, 
So it's the hard part is we talk in this way that's insider baseball. So if anyone's still listening, they're like, I don't even know anything about it because they're using so much code. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize. The thesis is ever since I've met Jay, she's been striving and working hard and continuing to grow. And also, you know, by p- continuing that pursuit in herself, it's been encouraging me to grow in myself as well, just in different ways. Um, so... Yeah, and that's basically the the crux of it. Like Jay's always learning and well, always growing. Also, the code is because I'm actually trying this thing called a filter, and we're seeing yeah. if this is actually working. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm actually very impressed. Which I learned this from Sarah Isley, so <laughs> this is not natural at all. I'm so bad at it. You can ask. No, so you're doing people. really well. Yeah. You're doing really well. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Um. So yeah, the thing that made us different about. Uh, or the thing that differentiated us between most of the people who worked at this company was simply that we were seeing this company company as a stepping stone for things that were more aligned and attuned to our interests and our individual pursuits. And a lot of the people who were there um, were not seeing it like that. They were just kind of seeing it as the the normalcy or like the constant in their life. Um But you bring up a good point about pace because the, I don't think, like, especially when you're planting seeds, there's not a linear, like, really path um, to, like, track a, a seed growth you know like the like you wouldn't have expected that by doing the lady edison that we would have just been casually in london like oh that was the two of us like so that was really weird tara was there too and that was yeah 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 and tara uh, for the backstory of anyone who cares like tara is a friend that i like always admire but i had to like pursue a little bit more so yeah. we were both like i can't believe we're hanging out in england we well, were both like surprised by that <laughs> yeah no it showed like really impressive and um what some people would have thought is insurmountable growth i think in in a lot of ways um so it was really a beautiful moment and experience but so i think that that was really accelerated um similar thing with um my excursion through you to columbia um that Which was accelerated I was as sad well that when you had the joe benford podcast you didn't mention me my name well, I was trying to be respectful. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. See, that was an example of my filter. Oh, my God. I thought it was a good experience, and now I'm, like, curious. It was. Season two, what happened to Surprise with <laughs> Columbia? From what I heard, it was fine. No, it was great. It was beautiful. But that, again, that was another yeah. example of accelerated pace because in I knew that you had been going to Columbia and you had relationships uh, in Columbia, but I when you said that you went in, what, April or May – of last year i didn't expect to also be going down a couple months later no and that's like a testament to i mean you can always go back too they want you back sarah is also really popular in columbia apparently i got friends there she's got friends there (laughs) who also want her to come back um uh about columbia so the thing about columbia was cool is that we have a my friend from film school marco barreto i can't do the double r I learned Spanish in Bolivia. They don't do the double R there. and It's messed me up for life. Um, <laughs> but um, he has a company there that makes commercials. They also did this beautiful credit sequence for my film, The Lady Edison. And they, um, he's a lovely man. Um, and we knew each other in film school. So that was like, it's so interesting how we're talking about growth and seeds planting is Marco and I were a year apart in film school. And 
we were friendly, but I wouldn't say we were hangout friends. But I really admired him, and I would hire him periodically on small gigs because Marco is extremely talented in many ways, but the talents to be identified um, is that he's amazing at production design and amazing at digital effects. So whenever I could, I would try to hire him on different projects, even when he moved back to Columbia. So he came to the United States and wanted to do a tour where he saw people from film school and he's coming to Atlanta. So we like had a reunion, hung out. Um, and that was his actual desire to plant seeds for his company in the minds and hearts of his American friends. And that was a decision of growth that his company made. Um, and then from that, when the lady Edison needed some post-production work, I was like, Hey, I can't. And he gave me a price. It was actually fair. I just couldn't afford it. I was like, Oh, do you want to be a producer? And then he took the, he got really excited. And then his company got really excited and just saying that led them to put a lot of love into the project, make these game of Thrones style credits at the end of the film. And then just put so much effort into the film where it became this galvanizing force for them. And it was so cool to go to Columbia um, and get in and, and went from he and I were friendly in film schools. So now we're actually really close friends and I get to meet his partners that made decisions about him visiting. And I'm the product of these conversations for them and then meet their new office manager and who this lovely woman uh, named Laura. And she told me that the reason she wanted to work for that company is because they screened the lady Edison there and it got her so excited. Oh, this is a company that's doing things and she's a lovely person. So the, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, I, you know, this is cool. I love them. They have great energy. Obviously we all can grow in different areas of life. They have all these young and talented people that could benefit off some of the structural knowledge that I knew that Sarah had. So I asked you if you wanted to go to Columbia. Weirdly enough, you did. And then went down there to help them better their company. But like all of that is like just this crazy full circle thing of like none of that was planned. No. Right. When I made the Lady and I was like, mm, I never thought that Marco would be a part of it at all because he lived in South America yeah. and never knew it would be such an important part of their company. And never knew that the girl, uh, the woman, the young woman I'm talking to when we're in the early stages, this young coworker I'm talking to um, at a lunch place in the cater. I think it's like Jenny's Soup or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, yeah, okay, well, well, fast forward, we're going to be in Columbia together. Yeah. Nor did I know when I was like trying to get Tara to say hi to me <laughs> that we would actually go to England together. None of that was planned. And so that is why like the beauty of just planting seeds and remaining open but there was obviously strategy there like i got this grant i pitched for this grant i tried for this grant i worked really hard on this grant i met a lot of wonderful collaborators and collaborators in the atlanta area so if you're listening i do not assume that anything great about that movie is me alone um so many wonderful people in atlanta worked on that movie and all this to say is like but that was still strategic. The planning, the securing locations, the shooting, the writing, everything required so much strategy. 
And so I think even with that, it's like, there are so many parts, if you're talking about just even a film that is strategy-based, that have to be strategy-based, that cannot be sustainable without strategy, without elaborate planning. Um, and without the tradition that goes into filmmaking and what every role does and what everything you need in a movie, those rules then they're just inherent to every movie that I didn't invent. And then these beautiful moments where things blossom in a way that you barely did anything to do that. So that I think is the balance. And it's a balance that I greatly learned from that film. And it's a balance that I hope to lead to even bigger and better opportunities and projects. I think it will. I think it will. I think all of those opportunities have been really beautiful and really special and that you've done a great job of providing appropriate strategic nurturing to the seeds that you've been planting. And I aspire to do the, to do the same thing with the ones that I plant as well, because you're right. You're, there's some moves that you have to, you can't just plant a seed and then expect it to immediately flourish or to bloom or whatever the appropriate metaphor is there um but you do need to take care of like oh well what soil am i planting it in how often should i water it like do i need to attend to this frequently or can i just let it be for a little while and then letting go of soil which yeah we will not talk about because it it's too scandalous just kidding it's a little too private about that um it's things that you and i talk about off podcast all the time yeah and that's been hard for me yes very challenging well, because it's hard to let go of those things that you want to bloom. Oh, totally. And so the f- interesting thing about you and I talking about growth is our friendship has been a seminal friendship in the last few years of my life, mm-hmm. which is nice to know at 37, you can still have seminal friendships yeah. <laughs> because sometimes you think all those seminal friendships are high school or college or grad school. So it's nice that life can surprise you with a younger person who becomes this fount of wisdom in your life. And and the only reason that I actually am open to that is because I have met older women um, in their 60s who are completely open to being friends with younger people. Mm. And had I not been friends with women who had kids, had beautiful homes had everything already figured out, had healthy grandchildren decide, oh, I can be friends with this younger person and let, listen to what they have to say. Um, I didn't even know that you could do that. And so because of their openness and their excitement for growth, um, you know, and yes, I talked a whole speech about authority, which I truly, truly believe is intrinsic to my character, but it's also this openness of like, oh, like there's not an age that stops where you can let someone in that's, different than you where they can have an effect mm. um yes cool <laughs> i think i'm out of things to say unless you have more questions <laughs> no i i was just really interested in that because i, I knew that you had older uh, you'll meet them friends. at the baby shower spoiler yeah I, we're having a baby shower this weekend so i'm in georgia yeah <laughs> i'm so excited for that i'm really you'll meet some of these mentors in my life i know i'm i'm really yeah. looking forward to it because some of these people i've heard i've heard tell about or, oh yeah um, yeah they just scandalous seemed... than <laughs> they've just seemed to be i think they'll 
you have friends in so many different aspects and areas of your life, like most people do. But... I actually don't think that. I think most people don't have that. Really? I always actually get criticized once from a friend who felt left out because he didn't know all of my friends and accused me of having oh. a history of segmented friendships. We sequ- we stopped being friends after that, but if he ever discovers this on the internet, yeah, that was a really hateful letter. Also, you should have friends everywhere in your life, personally. Oh my gosh. I know, that was a real drama. But that's, yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like absolute But drama. he How was the kind of person do? that wanted a group. Oh, I see. Which well, that I, sounds like a little codependency problem. I mean, he definitely... Sorry to tell this to you, because this is the first time you know this about yourself. You have a codependency problem. <laughs> you heard <laughs> um, it here first. You heard it here first. Um, I definitely understand. I think people want their tribe, right? Yeah. And I think that's normal. And then I think sometimes people are so focused on getting their tribe or so focused on living in their tribe that they have a hard time branching out of their tribe yeah i think so too that makes perfect sense well you seem to be really attracted to people who are both open and um have like this warmth and openness about them and also who are in their pursuit of lifelong learning or growth or betterment um do where does that attraction come from do you think um Wow, that's a very deep and complex question. Um, I think it comes from growing up in a very lily white area of the world called Knoxville, Tennessee, <laughs> and being surrounded by homogeneity, mm-hmm. which there are people that I love that thrive in that. And I don't want to, you know, put that down too much, but I never thrived in that. Um, I. I did not thrive in that. I did not fit into that. I did not fit into that culture um, at all, or at least not totally. And I felt like an outsider most of my childhood in the place that I grew up in, which is always an uncomfortable thing to feel like an outsider in the place that's supposed to be your home. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of things I love about East Tennessee, so I'm not going to throw it totally under the bus. It's incredibly beautiful. Um, people are very kind in general and the Smoky Mountains are right there you know you can relate being from North Carolina in terms of Western Carolina mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah I didn't really fit in and then the people that were the most interesting to me were the other people who didn't quite fit in and that led to so many different things it led to a small period of time of being pescatarian that I claimed was vegan because I didn't eat eggs. Um, <laughs> that led to, uh, uh, you know, getting really interested in, in other cultures within my context. Like, two of my very best friends, one you'll meet on Saturday um, from high school, being Indian American, um, which obviously plants the seeds. I'm married an Indian. Which, shout out to Mona Chef's parents, called out before everyone, <laughs> um, that I would marry an Indian. And they knew it first. Uh, and then, um, like, and then those actually just planted seeds to, I studied abroad in college in India. And, um, and I think that's actually where it came from, of just being so unbelievably uncomfortable in the thing that was supposed to be the most comforting. Mm. And feeling totally caged in and isolated and lonely and the thing where everything was stable and convenient and known. And 
So that feeling, Knoxville, Tennessee, which I would love to write about because there's so much beauty and not beauty there, um, caused me to just connect with things that weren't comfortable to the subset of standards of this lily white, very homophobic, subtly racist culture that I grew up in. Um, and then that finding those connections and finding fruit and joy and meaning in those connections just led me to trust that that's okay now. And I say that to say that I, you know, like I have a brother and sister-in-law who are very wonderful people and have so much wisdom in them and they're perfectly intent in that environment, which is also a growth moment of like, of just also realizing just because an environment doesn't suit you that there aren't people who aren't thriving and wise and kind and moral. Cause I would say that my brother and sister-in-law are those things. And you'll actually be my sister-in-law on Saturday. So, um, and they are very content in that place. So that's, you know, and you know, so I think that's why when I told you where, where we worked at that place was interesting is I think I told you I had a few friends in Atlanta that were housewives. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And I said some of, they were some of the wisest people I knew. Mm-hmm. So I think that like even in that environment where I sought the other and grew through the other, I also still learned like the people that were still most content were still people who were growing and thriving. Mm. And I so now I don't assume that any one personality or any one member of any tribe is wise or not wise mm. and so i just seek wise people and they just happen to look like all kinds of different people mm-hmm. well i think that's beautiful and selfishly i'm glad that you left knoxville and that you came to atlanta when you did in the circumstances that you did me too. So that we could meet and we could share wisdom. I was in, I was in Atlanta while you were still in college, so let's be real. <laughs> I'm so much older than you, but yeah, I, yeah. So, Jay, I've known you long enough to have seen you keep growing and keep bettering yourself and keep pursuing this lifelong learning. And we've already established that you're going to keep doing those things and keep growing and keep learning and keep getting better. But what can I do if you ever get stuck, if you ever stop growing? What's interesting about our friendship is I feel like our friendship is a friendship where it is a highly growth friendship. Like you are one of the most seminal friendships I've had in the last three years. And it's interesting because I think you think you get to a certain age where you will stop having life-changing friendships because you're getting older and people get more settled into their personal lives, more settled into their identities. And so when you say that, I'm like, as long as we're still friends, I'm not like worried about it. And the reason is, is because we have, we are currently living in drastically different times of our lives. And you're doing, you know, the whole like mid twenties exploration thing and you yourself are a person that's like, I want to grow. I want to prioritize growth. I don't just want to get settled in my job. I want to do different things. But um, in that, it's really refreshing to spend time with you and spend time with your sister um, who came with us on some of these fun adventures um, like England and be reminded of people living in that youthful time of their lives 
trying to figure things out. Um, because a lot of people that I'm around now are in their more settled time of their lives. And not that there's not something I can learn from them, but it's nice to have someone in a dramatically different phase um, that I actually can be friends with. Because one of the things as a college professor is no matter how interesting your students are, and some of them are very cool and very interesting, you really shouldn't definitely never be friends <laughs> while they're in the classroom, right? Because that's weird. But you're constantly surrounded by these unique people that you actually are not equals with based on the role that you play in their life. And so you kind of still get left out of the conversations of growth and excitement. Um, so it's refreshing to spend time with you and your sister who are younger to be like, oh, so that's what TikTok is about. And I know I just made fun of myself sounding old there, but seriously, your sister is talking more about TikTok than literally anyone, right? And so that's kind of in the cliche, bad generational joke kind of way, but like in the meaningful, like, what are we excited about? The fact that you went to Italy and went to Naples just so you can have an authentic slice of pizza, right? Like the fact that you're living life in this way that is completely luxurious to the people I'm around who are so entrenched in their work and in their jobs, um, but you are living like that. And you also taught me so much about when to hold them, when to fold them, when to say what you think and when to not say what you think. Um, just and how you're wired that I just doubt that uh, I, I doubt that you'll have to do much more than your presence unless behind the scenes of our conversations where it appears that you're a duck floating gracefully on water but really the legs are you know <laughs> furtively working there's a little of that <laughs> there's a little of that it doesn't seem like that but maybe you are doing incredible amounts of work to inspire me and it's way more conscious than it comes across I don't know Sarah if that's the case, then I feel like I owe you another international trip. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would take you up on any sort of international trip. <laughs> so, but I thank you for those kind words. I will do my best to keep being me as long as you do your best to keep doing you. How about that? Well, that's very sweet. Same thing with you or Laura Isley, who's now on the podcast. <laughs> 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 beautiful well i'm glad that we both got to celebrate each other's growth today and also got to see each other in person thank you for spending time with me and i hope we get more of these beautiful opportunities in the future me too because in season two i'll have a baby yeah and things will be a different a lot to say about that a lot your a new lot word might be, be motherhood i'm like oh okay <laughs> right. we'll have to see we'll have to see, <laughs> have to see. stay tuned <laughs> stay tuned that lovely chat was brought to you straight from the source by jay davidson our conversation was just a touch more special than what you heard because jay had a chance to give out a couple of plugs for her film the lady edison and we actually kind of just let the moment go very slowly and give it back to to the really peaceful environment that we were in. But unfortunately, or fortunately, my laptop decided that that moment was just too special to be shared by anyone other than us. So we re-recorded the last question inside of the cabin and made sure to tie up those loose ends. 
Jay will definitely be back for further seasons, but until then, and in lieu of her being able to pitch for herself, you should head to the Substack article that is an accompaniment to this podcast, and there you can find all of the information about her short film, The Lady Edison, and a few more stories about she and I. So with all of this talk about growth and spring coming in and nourishing everything that enriches your life, I encourage you to go plant some seeds, physical or otherwise. Whether it's a seed for a vegetable that you plant or fruit, or maybe you vocalize something that you want, or maybe start to make a new friend, oftentimes before you know it you'll have a seed, a sapling, and maybe even a whole tree. If you'd like to help water the seed of Let Me Play, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Substack, and Twitter. Next week we will be back, however, it's going to be a special side quest episode. You might remember from episode 4, which was Curiosity with Sean Krubeck, we talked a little bit about the theory of human design, so since that episode, she has gone and consulted all of the, the stars and moved the pyramids and everything and gotten my human design chart, so we've recorded a special episode kind of going through my human design, so that'll be really exciting, and that reading will be out next Sunday. So until then, thank you so much. For helping me grow, and thanks for playing.